Hello, Wade. Today is your birthday. So congratulations. I love you. Goodbye. There's no thoughts of this is wrong or anything like that. He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives. Secrets will eat you up. You feel so alone. I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. Hello, William. Oh, hey. What's going on? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. This is, uh, we're back with another episode of Don't At Me. It's been a little while since our last episode, but... In the words of Timbaland, it's been a long time. We shouldn't have left you without a podcast step to. Little interpolation by William. I liked it. No, no, yeah. no, it was good. It was creative. Love it. In the words of Britney Spears, it's been a while. I know we shouldn't have kept you waiting, but we're here now. And we're here because of uh, a very, let's say, interesting, damning documentary that... Uh, that everyone's talking that about. That everyone's talking about, yeah. And I... We love our hot topics. I began watching this Sunday. And I, the first person I thought of was like, I need to, I need to talk to Will about this. Yeah, I, I was the same deal. I knew that like, when, when you reached out, I was like, yeah, this to me feels like a podcast. Because again, it's timely. Everyone's talking about it. And... It's, it's not one of our conventional ones where we come in and, and you know, we have some bold statement and we unpack it. It's like, this is just something that's huge that is you know, a big pop culture thing that we have to talk about. Um, the, the allegations against Michael Jackson, which aren't new, but are uh, headline news and, and gripping the national, international conversation. And you know, what the impact is of these allegations coming back to light. So if you haven't realized already, we're talking about the documentary Leaving Neverland, which aired on HBO on Sunday. Sunday and Monday. And yes, basically it's, it's one of these documentaries that, to be honest, when I first heard that there was a Michael Jackson biopic coming out, I'm like, oh no, they're going to like gloss over this stuff. It's just going to be like, oh, how great Michael Jackson's life was. Right. Just because, you know, uh, as you've seen in the last... Um, with the last Oscars with Bohemian Rhapsody, how they kind of made Queen, they really didn't go into the dramatic aspects of, of the life of Freddie Mercury. They kind of glossed over all of the AIDS Right, and, AIDS and stuff. To, to clarify, a documentary, not a Docu biopic. Yeah, sorry. Biopic. Yes. Obviously, the two di different things, but like a film about Michael Jackson. A film yeah. about Michael Jackson that was not going to really push the issues. And boy, was I wrong. This, <laughs> you thought. <laughs> yeah, I thought. And this was obviously the complete opposite. And this was a complete utter takedown of, of Michael Jackson and it with, you know, with good reason. There is obviously some very damning allegations that we're kind of getting into a bit uh, deeper that both these, um, both these victims kind of came up with. And it was, it was shocking. Like, what was your first interpretation when you watched, uh, when, you, when you knew about this documentary? When I knew it was coming, um, the first thing I wanted to know was, oh, okay, is this something new? Right, because especially in the in the Me Too era, and especially with like the R. Kelly thing ongoing, it's been all these women coming forward, all these uh, victims. Bill Cosby, another one who has had dozens of people come out against him. So I thought, okay, is this something we haven't heard before? And then realized that yes, it is, but it's in a film format. Um, personally, I wasn't entirely shocked because, and I want to get to this further in a second. Um, 
you know, I, I followed the, at least the 2003 to 2005 trial as, as a kid. Um, so I knew, and this was his perception for so long, him as this weirdo, this kid, person who loved kids, uh, young boys, but when he passed away, that was largely overlooked and, and his legacy was, uh, uh, that was excluded from his legacy, I'd say. So seeing this come back to light, it really didn't surprise me. Um, but it's, it's interesting to have it come back up. So to follow on that point, Sam, I want to ask you, uh, how aware were you of at least the trial that we were, because we're both born in the, in the early 90s, so we weren't around for the 93 stuff when that was really, and also for Michael Jackson's general peak, I would say, uh, cultural peak. So when everything came out in 2003, the child molestation charges, um, were you conscious of that? Did you follow that in real time? To be honest, not really. Like, I think the the main takeaway I had of Michael Jackson, to be honest, I, I don't, I didn't really get into Michael Jackson's music till probably the late 2000s, like just before he died. So maybe around yeah. like 2008, 2007, just because that's, I'm in high school. I was, I had a lot of access, to, you know, via the internet to his music and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when, when this stuff kind of, the only sort of, history I have with these allegations to be honest the first thing that came to mind was the uh, was a South Park episode right right with Wacko Jacko and him dressing up as Peter Pan and you know pretending to touch kids and all that kind of stuff right and it always is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing like what South Park does and I didn't know too much of the details I'm 11 right I'm not going and asking my parents about can you tell me more about what's going on with this Michael, this Michael Jackson case? And, Interesting. And to be honest as well, like, I think we made the point when we were watching this is Michael Jackson kind of scared me, right? If you actually looked at the, the, like, yeah. the way he looked yeah. physically, he was kind of a scary individual to look at, right? And my f Sorry to cut you off. My first uh, impression of Michael Jackson, my first memory of Michael Jackson was uh, on TV. They were airing his ghosts. I guess it was like an extended music video or mm -hmm. some sort of like film thing and I thought that was horror I thought that was terrifying right and I was like seven eight years old I see this guy who's like gaunt who's obviously there's like the CGI element to it but him as, as a person at that point he looked very kind of ghostly physically he, he looked bizarre I think um, and actually so it's interesting hearing you say that you weren't asking your parents about or, or asking inquisitively about the trial because I vividly remember one of my most distinct memories as a kid is one night, you know, before I was going to bed, I was, my dad was in my room with me and we were talking and I was like, dad, what is molestation? Like, what is this thing with Michael Jackson on, on TV? And from there, I don't remember what my dad exactly said, but I do remember like that influenced my first impressions of Michael Jackson. I've always known Michael Jackson as this legend, but also very checkered, very, uh, questionable personal life. And I don't know if it's because like my my mother more uh, was a was a massive Michael Jackson fan, obviously like influenced yeah. a lot of her music taste and you know it was a big part of her life, right? So maybe if it was something that she's just didn't really want to get into because she didn't want to believe it. And it's funny when I when I watched this film, I watched the first part of it with with my uncle and with my mom, 
you could tell it was like one, once those gritty details started to come out and, you know, Wade starts going, you know, about the, the, the sexual, all the stuff that kind of was happening behind closed doors, she couldn't listen. Like, it was like, really? oh, my God, I can't listen. This is too much. Wow. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, literally screaming at the TV. Wow. Right? So. That's fascinating. My parents are, I'd say they're both kind of middling MJ fans in different ways. My mom has talked about how she loved him as a kid, loved, like, early Michael Jackson, because they're the same age. Um, my dad, as, a, as an adult, my mom thought that he was weird. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, I think, was into him in the 80s. I can't remember if my dad saw Michael Jackson live. I feel like he might have actually. Um, but I knew that he was more into like, you know, 80s and early 90s Michael Jackson. Like has said that the, I guess the Dangerous album is, is his favorite or one of the songs on it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, he was never someone who I was like introduced to as a kid as this hero, as this, as this, this god, the way that in the documentary they say he was perceived in the 90s. Like he had that status that supposedly no star to this point has has been able to recreate, which I, I kind of agree with, just my understanding of how the star process, how Hollywood works now. So we had all this information, obviously, from the last 20 years with the 90s investigation, the 2005 investigation. Why, I'm just, one of the things I'm so curious why is why now in 2019 did we have to come back and revisit this? Yeah. Was this... And I think this is going to be probably the main criticism from from this uh... from people who who uh, disagree or don't believe it, and also from and or uh, Michael Jackson fans. Exactly right, and I think the main one of the things after I watched the first uh, the, the the first part of the doc was I wanted to see the Twitter reaction. Obviously, it was trending on Twitter. Yeah, of course, it's one and of those things that you want, you almost want to watch in real time. You want to see you know, the problem is neither of us has HBO. No, so. no, it's true. <laughs> Literally, Look, right? Who child the ghetto? You had <laughs> me at my cable subscription. Shout out to Ben Kaplan with uh, giving us the username and password. Shout out to great. Ashley G H for mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was amazing because I walked away from the first uh, the first episode being like, holy shit, like this is this is absolutely insane what Michael Jack what these people are talking about, and no, and I believe them. But what I was going to ask, do you believe? Like, I believed, yeah. I I thought that the the testimony from both the accusers was was so damning and so detailed mm-hmm. that I was like, this is absolutely like I cannot believe this, right? Like this is a, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, not amazing, but you know what I'm getting at, right? It's just kind of this uh, a lot of details. Yeah. Then the second thing that comes to uh, from my production background is HBO is a very prestige network yeah right and they make a lot of prestige television they probably have a lot of great lawyers that uh vet you know all of these <laughs> sorry my my dog is here the <laughs> everyone meets yeah. sunny yeah what's up <laughs> oh now she doesn't want to bark no nothing now um but h what i was saying hbo, HBO is, is prestige prestige if television HBO says it there's a level and it's the same and we'll get to this in a second as well but yeah. like oprah doing the after Neverland, like, post-show, essentially, that's Oprah Winfrey, right? And, and I recognize I'm an Oprah, like, if I would stand anybody, it's Oprah Winfrey. But recognizing the level of clout and power and influence she has, for her to throw a name behind this, like, that's serious. Let's get to Oprah in a bit, but I think yeah. this isn't the National Enquirer. This isn't Us Weekly. This isn't a tabloid, you know, mm-hmm. that 
is reporting on these sexual assault abusers. This is HBO. Yeah. Right? Home of Game of Thrones, the biggest television series on the planet right now, right? And, and same to, thing there. There's a legacy of, like again, prestige shows. And, prestige to, and to air this with, you know the backlash that obviously is coming in, you know, a $100 million lawsuit from the Jackson estate right now on the documentary. To and, air this is a, is a ballsy move, but... There's, you know there's got to be some sort of truth in this, and the HBO execs looked at this and be like, this, this story needs to be told. And it, I'm willing, we were willing to put our neck out to, to document this. That, that was like a big thing for me. I'm yeah. like, I believe this. Yeah, the level of credibility know, behind yeah. it. And I think part of that too is this, the lawsuit that the Jackson estate is waging against HBO is it's, um, it's this clause that they had because they had a contract with Michael in 93, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, they claim that this documentary violates that. It's like an anti-disparagement clause, I think it is, um, where they, they can't say anything negative about Michael. But again, as you say, they must have been approached by this and said, because they would have done their legal work too, then like, this goes beyond that. This has to be like, we can't pass this up, right? We have to... But to go back also then, sorry, I kind of digressed off it. The Twitter reaction was all pro-Michael and that these guys are lying, you know, pulling up all the Wade Robson, uh, the fact that he is he came out with this four years after Michael died, the fact that he denied all of this during the actual trials. And I think there's just, Michael Jackson was this, uh, we talked about this, was bigger than life. Mm. He was a celebrity. He was like almost a religion, right? And for people to kind of besmirch his name like this, everyone just kind of gets super offended by it and can't and can't really deal with the consequences. And one of the things that has to be acknowledged too is the fact that you know he's he's gone. Like he's not here to defend himself, and that's part of the argument. You know, Michael can't fight these accusations, and so coming at him after he's dead and gone mm-hmm. is throwing stones on his grave. Is how somebody put it. What was your reaction when you first watched the like the first part of it? To watching it? So when I watched part one, because we just watched part two in the Oprah special now, um, watching part one, it's inherently disturbing to watch, to hear anybody talk about those details in that level of detail. Um, and knowing what ages they were at, right? Like, that's honestly even younger than I think most people come into their own sexual awakening or their own sexuality. Um, and so being seven and 10 years old is what they were, I believe. Like hearing them describe that and then having them describe what they did. And as they're describing it, there's photos of Michael with them at that age. Like you can't help but envision that. Not envision it, but you can't help but um, see it in your head and it's disturbing, right? Um, watching it too... I was also a bit, you know, I was trying to go back and forth of, do I, what's, is there anything that kind of can have holes poked in here? Um, Is there room for doubt? Why are they coming now? All these things, trying to put the holes together. Um, Reconciling the things that are easier to believe with the things that have knocked, and part of why they've had issues with credibility over the years. Um, but as I said, like this isn't anything new. It's just a matter of it actually being presented in broad daylight. There's a similarity here to Surviving R. Kelly. Um, differences, of course, and I'll say that quite clearly, but 
the idea of all these things that have existed for so long and it's just a matter of us actually having it in front of our faces and being caused to react to it. Well, it's just being portrayed in a, uh, a more mainstream sense, right? Again, it goes back to like if this were a National Enquirer article other than a documentary, it wouldn't get the same sort of eyeballs than, you know, obviously this HBO documentary. Yeah. The massive amount of eyeballs. It was, it was showcased at Sundance Festival, right? Yeah. It's probably going to get nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary. Like, we don't know, but I'm just saying like it's probably going to be a part of this conversation in... in kind of entertainment world yeah. for the next couple months, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe not even that long, but like while it's here, it's the big conversation, right? Yeah, and I think it's just like the, the most depressing part that I kind of came away from it is the fact about this culture that we have to doubt these victims, right? Yeah. And because there are so many cases of people who lie about abuse and who lie about this stuff to get, you know, whether it's monetary or whether it's to get back, you know, with, with sort of relationships you've had with prior people. Like, you know, the, the best example is this Jesse Smollett. I was just going to say, right? I was just going to say how I think the biggest thing that's holding me back from fully saying directly, I believe them mm -hmm. is that when Jesse Smollett came out about his alleged hate crime, I was working and we were discussing it and I jumped on the, on the bandwagon of I believe him. And then now, of course, it's looking like, and again, this is still alleged, it's not confirmed, yeah. it's not whatever. Um, the fact that with him, it looks like he staged that. And I was there kind of jumping on board with it. Especially for me, like working in media and entertainment, like I should have been more um, diligent about that. And so that's kind of why with this, I'm really making sure like, okay, what are they saying? Why is this credible? Are there holes there? Because I have to go to work and report on this and continue on. And also just in my own, I kind of want to have a sense of like, this is legit. But the thing is, it's so tough. And to, this one specifically it is, yeah. It, I think almost in like a lot of these instances, right? You're dealing with a very touchy subject, whether it's uh, obviously child molestation with Jesse Smollett, whether it's, you know, the racial issues and being, uh, you know, homosexual... Uh, abuse and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? It's, you don't, we live in this society where if you, if I were, if, if we were to question that when it came out without any of the knowledge that the fact that he faked it, you know, you get pushed aside as this, you know, stupid conservative right wing, like uh, homophobic racist, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you find out that these people are actually doing this and are actually trying to take advantage of the system right now because no one wants to have that other side of the conversation debate, right? Yeah. Like, where, where do we go as a society from this, right? It's super difficult if you can, you can take advantage of the system like this and not, and not be given due justice on the other side. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we can, we can discuss like this and, and try to poke holes in both of these men's cases. And I, I, don't, I don't think we should be ridiculed for it. Yeah. Because this is the society we're living in. Right? Yeah. So when, you know, one of the points I made was like the lack of footage in this documentary, the amount of drone shots that they kept going back to over and over again, the amount of, you know, they only had the access to, I think it was like 
10 or f- I feel like for for the photographs they kept going back to the same, they use the like same ones. 5 yeah, or yeah, 10 yeah. photos I actually right? was surprised at how much footage they did have in there like I was surprised that they had the shots of like of Neverland and of all but these this, and this maybe goes to the fact that we know we're getting sued by the Jackson estate regardless yeah. we might as well just go gung ho with some of the licensing stuff as well I don't know for a fact maybe they did have the, the proper rights for that yeah I mean like the, the TMZ clips in there I'm sure and the CBS like the CNN footage and but that's like all that. that's all news I'm um, saying the actual like going in to do drone shots over Neverland you must have yeah well, even using Michael of, videos right like yeah. the, fact, I, the fact that you used Thriller in there I was like really like and even the just mu- using the, the music, 30 seconds the yeah. music too right yeah. like that sounds like a legal nightmare to be using that and I think it's there must be some sort of um because this was such kind of like a, a, a negative piece on Michael Jackson, they knew there's no way we were going to get any of the rights to any of his music or video that they're going to like, well, we need this to tell the story. We're just going to use it anyway and deal with the legal aspects. I know. I, I thought about that a bit too. And I was like, that's, it's bold for sure. Um, but you're right. I think there's a level of we're going to get backlash anyways. It's probably going to be, you know, a lawsuit, whatever. Right. I think that the $100 million lawsuit I'm surprised it's just that. I think that they, well, maybe, maybe you know what? Just thinking out loud, they probably went with that instead of the copyright infringement, whatever, because that would not be the same level of, of uh, payment they could seek, right? That, that's a straightforward, okay, well, um, legal precedent says you can get this much money for them using 30 seconds of Thriller versus $100 million for, is I guess it's defamation they're going after or whatever, breach, Def- breach of contract for that, that yeah. 90s thing. Yeah. Um, that's where the money's really at. For the uh, Jackson estate. So, I think Oprah kind of said it best at the beginning of her interview was that this this wasn't a documentary about Michael Jackson. This was more about a documentary on child abuse. But it's, it, I left I left the documentary, and I think it's really given us. I think if you read all the think pieces, I know New York Times is a great one. Vulture, you said, has done. Um, you know, great pieces on kind of how we we view Michael now. Yeah. And wh- what do we do with all of this music? How do we digest the pop star who was so dominant between the 70s to probably his death? And like, how, how are we supposed to digest Michael Jackson? How are we supposed to look at this? Because like, the one thing I'm starting to think now, it's like, some like Ernesto de la Cruz sort of situation from Coco, <laughs> where, right? We're like, wow, you know, everyone's remembering him from you know the good old days. We remember out- <laughs> me, <laughs> but no, how are we actually now supposed to remember Michael Jackson if these allegations, you know, with with just this documentary we have now? I honestly think that's kind of sec. I think that, that I think that's the secondary purpose of the documentary. Um, as we said, the documentary isn't really as much about Michael Jackson. And I came away from it, as you said, with watching it the first night, um, I think I was thinking less about what's my conclusive opinion going to be about Michael Jackson after this. It's more about what can we take away from it moving forward, right? Michael's gone. We're all still here. And they keep reiterating. And like I said, this Vulture piece that I saw um, talks about the level of power and the level of influence Michael had. You know, in the 90s when this was beginning with, with uh, Wade and James, allegedly, I'll say, um, he was at his peak, right? He, he could do no wrong. He had people around him. He had the world at his feet. Um, I think that that's where you have to look at it and go, okay, so moving forward, us who are left here as human beings, um, 
we can't let people have that level of power because like the definitive thing that I don't think anyone can argue, Michael Jackson fan or otherwise, is he did get grossly close to these kids. Even if you think that he didn't do anything to these kids, there's proof that he had relationships with them when he was at this point in his 30s. And these kids were seven and 10 when they started. Um, that, like, there's, there's no plausible, even, even, you know, a Macaulay Culkin, for instance, who has said multiple times, who still maintains to this day that Michael Jackson did nothing to him. Um, looking at that, still, even if Macaulay says, like, his reasoning is, oh, well, he was a child star too, and he was looking out for me, whatever. I just still look at that and go, that's, it's still bizarre. It's still not appropriate. We're both 90s kids. Yeah. And maybe this is just the fact that the, like, I, again, I don't know about the knowledge about pedophilia in the 80s and 70s and kind of was it in the mainstream as it was now in the 90s and 2000s. But, like, sure, it was, it was weird that he was hanging out with kids, but everyone kind of, like, took that line of his that, like, I never had a childhood. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I need to hang out with kids. And it was like, oh, poor Michael, right? Like, yeah. this is this is what he needs. The ones who sympathize of, with him. Who si- that's what yeah. I'm saying. Because obviously, like, like, it's also important to know that by the 2000s, like, when you think of Michael Jackson, you think of ridicule. Michael Jackson was the butt of jokes until he died. Yeah. Right? No, for sure. But I'm saying that the fact that he got away with that, with... If you were to fast forward to, let's say, he was giving that answer in 2010. Yeah. In the way our society has progressed, there's no way... You could get away with anything like that. That's what I find interesting is if he was still around for the Me Too era, because that's that's another important thing to know is this is coming out in Me Too, right? If this were coming out now and he was trying to defend himself, I'm curious how he would do so. And that was one of the things even I pointed out when we were watching the some of the footage from the 2005 case. Yeah. And obviously the amount of supporters he had that were outside of the courtroom wishing for, hoping for Michael's innocence and finding out he was innocent there was a whole party afterwards and stuff like, well there was the time that he was leaving court and jumped up on his SUV to wave to fans and, what, and to, to greet them and it was it was like a rock concert outside of a courthouse yeah which you know that just does not happen in our society at all yeah. With any of these Me Too allegations, and it shouldn't, right? Because, you know, we've gone through this with Bill Cosby. We've gone through this with Kevin Spacey. We're going through we, with R. Kelly. With R. Kelly. We've gone through with Harvey Weinstein. We've gone through with Louis C.K. These are all these, like, awful, awful allegations that became true, right? And yeah. we're, we're kind of, you know, we came out, we, we, we were with the testimony, and these were, like, beloved people in our popular culture, right? Louis C.K. was given, basically given the FX network. Yeah. And that was taken away from him. Bill Cosby. And he also was just like well well received in the industry. He well, was, he was one of the top comedians in the world. He supposedly was an ally. He, people thought that he was uh, a progressive, I guess, quote unquote, woke guy. And then, of course, when things turn on him is when he kind of feeds into the opposite side. Bill Cosby, one of the most revolutionary television icons of all time. Yeah. Wiped away. Um, Kevin Spacey, you know, had one of the most successful Netflix streaming television shows of all time. And obviously a fantastic One of the most act. groundbreaking ones, for one sure. One of the most groundbreaking actors. And a huge career before that, two Oscars. Yeah. Right? But I'm saying, I'm, I, I wonder how the Michael Jackson, how this stuff would have translated now in, in 2010. Yeah. If these, if these allegations and if these courtroom uh, procedures were happening now, I think it would have been a completely different dialogue. And I think that's kind of what this 
what this documentary is is poking at. Yeah. Is that we should have tried Michael Jackson under the same lens as we've tried all these these notable celebrities in the last yeah. five five years. And it's it's too bad because yeah, we never will get to, right? With the the revolution kind of began too late. But it's for that. almost like this is what this documentary is trying to achieve as well with it. As long as it is yeah. a sexual abuse and, it, and we're kind of we're delving into some of the tendencies of child abuse. Yeah. But it's also showing the kind of monster that Michael was, right? Yeah. And and shedding this light that you know, we haven't really heard much from the Michael Jackson story over, over since he's really died. There's been maybe the odd blip that has come up, but this is kind of the big project since this is it, right? That was, yeah, this is it this was is a very sensationalizing Michael Jackson, the perfectionist was going to come back into this amazing tour. And this is kind of the big, you know, like guys, Michael wasn't that great of a guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of the justice that I guess some, I guess what they're kind of looking for, right? In a way, um, you know, I found it interesting. The one, one of the things that was holding me back from believing was the fact that Wade Robson sued the estate for $1.5 billion. And looking at that face value, I was like, oh, well, yeah, clearly it's all about money for him. And even in, in the documentary, seeing that the 93 accuser, Jordan um, was his name, the, the, the kid, his family, they paid him, I think they, uh, Jack, Michael paid him and his family $10 million to make it go away, to settle the suit. And that was where I go, okay, well, if the parents are accepting, like for Michael to offer $10 million, sure, like maybe he wants to make it go away, maybe it's true and whatever, um, but for the family to accept it, I'm like, okay, so it is just about money for them. If the, if the kid uh, was really hurt in this situation, like they should be more about speaking out and making him you know, pay for it, making him go to jail. And that's what I think it was Wade's family in the documentary said too, like we believed Michael because that's how that played out. Um, seeing how everything went, in the 2005, and of course now going back to Wade in, in 2012, um, that was where I look at and go, okay, so he's looking for $1.5 billion. Like this is a, a blatant over the moon cash grab. But then hearing him on the Oprah special at the end say, I needed a way for them to be responsible and I needed a way to be back in uh, in court being on the depositions down the witness stand um, at this point now when I'm ready. That I found very interesting. That was, I was going to say that, the, the, the way he answered that question in the Oprah thing, the fact that this is really the only way he's going to get their attention, right? This is the way we, we work in our legal system to, to, to kind of hold these people accountable for their actions, yeah. right? It's not like, you know, you get sent to the principal's office, uh, Johnny hurt me, Johnny goes gets suspended for four days and, yeah. that, and he got punished, right? No. The way you got to do this, you can go and hoot and holler on all the daytime talk shows and talk about how you were molested by Michael Jackson. The way to make them hurt, and the only really way to make them hurt, is to sue them for, uh, for a financial gain. Yeah, and of right? course impact Michael's legacy, right? Because and, it, it, it must be damaging for you where uh, at the end of the Oprah special, James was saying how he's going to have to deal with this for the rest of his life. This moment's going to come where the, the, the news cycle is going to stop focusing on this, but he's going to have to continue unpacking this. That I found interesting. Um, I just think it really it sucks that the fact that money has to be involved in order to gain justice. Yeah, that's I think. Obviously, we we want we can't be in the in the bedroom. We don't have any like footage that we can prove that someone is innocent or guilty with any of these abuse yeah. victims. But like, you know, the the money thing just makes everything so muddy, 
right? It, it, it puts the, uh, puts us in a lens of like, oh, the, the abuser is just money hungry and wants to kind of take advantage of the wealthy person who's the, who's the abuser, right? Yeah. And I don't think there is going to be a way where we can kind of get away from the fact that money is not one of the biggest attributes to these issues, mm-hmm. right? Someone's going to sue someone. It's not, it, it can't just be for justice. I'm going to sue you for justice. What the fuck? Okay, sure. That sounds great. The only way to hold people accountable is now for money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Especially I, someone who's dead, like Michael Jackson. Like, yeah. What, the hell, what else are you going to do? Well, one example is uh, Whitney Houston's daughter. When she died uh, after her... Um, what was it? She was... Same thing as Whitney found in a bathtub and was on, on life support and, and in a coma for months and months till they pulled the life support. Um, Bobby Brown, her dad, sued the boyfriend at the time for wrongful death uh won the lawsuit and it was this like i forget what the number was but it's like this guy has no money right so he's he's no way ever going to pay this money back but he was found in the court system to to be uh liable for bobby christina's death right so that's an example of like the justice i guess but it has to come back to money it always so he's always tied to that money it's always tied to the money and it always just kind of puts a uh, you, you kind of look at the victim in a different way now when it always becomes the money because you think they're just doing it for monetary gain. Yeah. And that's what sucks. That, that's, I just, there's no, I, I, I can't think of a logical way that can make that better to make, uh, to kind of show off uh, victims' morals a bit more, but money makes this fucking world go round. Yeah. As, as a cliche as that sounds, like that's, that's basically kind of what people are looking for, what people can gain and take away from people. Yeah. Um, so, what was, I guess, we didn't really get too much into, uh, have you tried to listen to any Michael Jackson music? Oh, actually, afterwards? <laughs> like, I, I didn't try, but it happened this morning. Yeah. I went in the shower, I put on some, some music, I put on a playlist, and didn't realize that Scream by Michael featuring Janet was on there. And that song is an interesting one because uh, it came out in 95 after the 93 accusations, and he was in the tabloids, and I don't know what she particularly was in the tabloids for at the time, but of course she was also in her prime and yeah. uh, it was, you know, Michael featuring Janet, it was a huge, huge thing. And the song is all, you know, the, the everything makes me want to scream, stop pressuring me, da da da, like them hitting back at all the criticism. And having watched the, the R. Kelly documentary where they outlined very blatantly how he used his music to supposedly influence his public persona and influence how the public perceived him I was in the shower. I couldn't hit skip. It was playing, and I was. But, but I'm glad I did because it, I was listening to the song, and I was like, "Okay, how do I feel about this?" I'm in the middle of watching this doc. It feels weird. And was this his way of trying to spin the narrative? Maybe not even victimize himself, but just have the public go. He's not. He's not guilty. Janet being on board is this her uh, co-signing this? Is she? Um, is she to blame in, the, in, in this as well? Was, was that her thinking? Did she... And I went on a whole tangent about, you know, what does Janet think about this? And that's not, I don't think, directly relevant at this moment. No. Uh, she hasn't said anything publicly about this latest round, so I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, to answer your question, um, it felt weird, not as bizarre as the... I, I think just because with R. Kelly, like, that was so, so deeply disturbing watching that documentary... And not that this one wasn't, but I think I'm not quite there yet with Michael. And maybe at least when I this morning, I was still on that 
mm, still making up my mind. So at this point, with regard to Michael, um, I don't really know where I proceed. I think it's just interesting the fact that we've already got radio stations starting to ban the playing of Michael Jackson music. Yeah, so all of, of BBC in the UK. BBC is the biggest radio outlet in, in the UK. Um, there's at least a few in Canada. I think there's a few small ones. Um, I want to say it's Kojiko has banned it across their state. And Kojiko is not one of the major ones, but yeah. um, it, there's still that, that ripple. I'm, I'm curious to see if anywhere in the States will do so, or if they have already banned his music. So do you think it's possible we completely just erase Michael? Is that, is that kind of the... Is, I don't think so. Is that what we're trying to do, though? Is that what... Because it seems like, just again, the fact that... Again, this is aired on HBO... Every major news publication has written a smear piece on, on Michael after this, right? Like the New York Times, the Washington Post. Um, like a few like, of them have. I, I wouldn't say everyone, but there's, I, I, there's been a wide backlash. I'm saying like the big notable newspapers are writing yes, yeah. about this in the fact that this was not a... Th that this documentary is, is unfactual, right? They're saying yeah. that this documentary is truth. This is how we need to kind of view Michael now in popular culture, right? Yeah. And these aren't you know, your J-14s or your National Enquirers, right? This is the fucking New York Times, the yeah. Washington Post, your big Yeah, they're journalistic yeah. sources. So it's, it, are we going to go down this road where we, we just, we can't listen to Michael Jackson anymore? Is this, is this kind of where we're going to head to? I personally don't know that we will ever fully get there. And it comes back to him being dead and not being able to directly defend himself on these accusations. Because as Wade and James said, they never talked about it while he was alive. So he's not here to defend himself. And I do think a lot of fans are going to rest on that and say, not only that, but also the fact that, you know, the FBI searched him for years and years and years, never came up with anything. Um, there's always going to be this gray area, I, unless there was some smoking gun that came out. Wait, maybe, maybe another accuser will come out. Who knows? But as of this moment, um, it, I don't think is fully possible to fully uh, cancel Michael because there are enough people who have enough belief that he's innocent. So you're not going to see the same level of cancellation, I guess. But I know just for a fact, I just, I can already feel it right now. If I were out right now, let's say you and I were out at a bar yeah. and a Michael Jackson song came out, we, we would take a second look. Right? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Right? Because, we, but but part of it too, yeah. because this is currently in the news. I wonder if you know, two years down the road, if we'll have that same reaction. If we go out and we hear Billie Jean at a, at a bar and go, Ugh. right, the way that recently when I when I heard uh, Ignition at a brunch place, I was like, oh, can I, we do this? Yeah, like, like yeah, it's it's such a it's such a big it's it's an argument that I think. A lot of us are trying to have is like that that separating the art from the artist, yeah. right? And is it something? I just found out recently that that Prince was uh, a part of a lot of like homophobic groups, which like I had no idea about this. And a friend I work with right now was like, I can't listen to Prince because I, I read a couple articles and him and he was totally against homophobia, yeah, right? And it's like They're totally against homosexuals. Totally against homosexual. Yeah, yeah. sorry, and. The fact that he was like such a huge Prince fan before, and then he read that article, was like, no, I can't listen to the music anymore. And like, it's, it's weird if they're not talking about it in their songs. And it's funny when you brought up that R. Kelly thing, is that the fact that he was there. There's a note of it that he's kind of using his songs to kind of help his narrative. Yeah. But like, can, can we really separate 
Michael Jackson and all these allegations from the numerous number one hits and how he was able to kind of influence 70s, 80s, and probably 90s pop culture. Yeah. He, he was with us. Like, he was owning the narrative for, like, three decades. Yeah. And we just have to now wipe away that entire library because of, because of these obviously terrible, terrible allegations and terrible acts. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like that weird conversation we got to have, right? I think this goes back to what we were saying, uh, what that Vulture article said about Michael having this level of power, right? The thing I find fascinating about this moment in culture is with streaming. I've said this before that I think uh, streaming has revolutionized how we have music culture. There's no one that is so sacred and so important to us that if something damning came out about them and I changed my opinion, I wouldn't be clutching my pearls and going, but, but Michael, but this person. I am not as concerned about whether or not Michael gets canceled because for me, I have so many other options musically. There's people that I look up to, that I, that I enjoy listening to, who are doing good things in the world, who, as far as I know, don't have these allegations or these, this behavior that would be questionable to me. And I want to support those people. It's not like when Michael Jackson was in his heyday where you have the radio playing these people and kind of telling you what you're into. You have MTV, much music, playing these artists, telling you what you're into. And then there's kind of indie stuff, right? With Spotify, with Apple Music, you can find what you want to listen to and listen to it. I'm not bound to Michael Jackson in the same way. I think there's a nostalgia factor for sure. And that's part of why certain people are so gung-ho of he's innocent, he's innocent. And that's why I do think he's not going to get fully ever, quote unquote, canceled. But I say, I have the option to look up elsewhere for music, right? If I can never listen to Black or White again, if I can never listen to Remember the Time again, there's no one that should be as sacred, that sacred to me that I can't go, you know what, whatever. And I think that's, yes, of course, that's your personal opinion. I'm thinking more in just like the genuine, the general conversation of, of music. If we start... Like, let's just say, I don't think this is what would happen, but if they were to take Michael Jackson out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? right? If that, you know, it's kind of like, I'll use a sports analogy here, but like in the 90s, all these baseball players were cheating because of steroids, right? Yeah. And the Baseball Hall of Fame won't recognize them because they were taking steroids, right? Yeah. And these players have broken, uh, the Barry Bonds is the all-time home run leader. Uh, there's like four or five of them of like statistically are the best, but they will not be recognized by the Baseball Hall of Fame. So like, I just think it's just gonna be so weird and so strange if we lose the whole, let's just say 20, 30, 40 years down the road that Michael Jackson, we don't even talk about Michael Jackson as the biggest pop star in the world anymore. We talk about Madonna or we talk about, you know, someone else back in the 70s or 80s because we can't talk about Michael Jackson anymore yeah. because what he did to kids, right? Yeah. So. It begs sure. the question of what's more important, his legacy as a musician or his legacy as a child molester? That's a great and, question. And yeah. I th yeah, it seems like you're leaning more towards his legacy. I as think it's his legacy as a musician. Right? And I don't... I personally like can, can kind of take away the music from the, the, the allegations. Like you can separate the man from the musician. Yeah. So what I find interesting about that, going back to R. Kelly again, like in his documentary, they were saying 
to anyone who says you can separate the man from the music, the fact that he wrote these songs to influence his, his, his uh, stature is why you cannot. So for context, if you haven't watched Surviving R. Kelly, one example is You Were Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Which, so he wrote that song for Michael, and it's a ballad allegedly about a young girl that R. Kelly impregnated and she miscarried, and he wrote the song about her. I Believe I Can Fly, which is one of his signature songs, one of two or three Grammys. Um, he wrote that supposedly as a way to soften his public image because he was seen as this like sex fiend and all of, all of his music was very sexual. And he wrote this song that was on the Space Jam soundtrack and that made him more appealing, more um, family friendly. And he supposedly used that to lure in young girls. So this idea of separating the man from the musician, you know, that's why I said I listened to Scream and I go, was this his way of trying to influence how people saw him, let him go about his regular activity of, of seducing and preying on young kids? I'm just so worried that the fact we're gonna lose 30 years of history. I don't think it's about losing 30 years of history. I think, I think it's about, it's, I, don't, I don't think, that's what I'm saying is you're never gonna actually fully lose it. Because again, this is not something that is being fully proven. Like I said, the guys didn't bring anything new. It's all the same stuff we've had. Okay, there. so let's say if it is proven, though, what happens? If it is proven, that's a conversation. But at this point, yeah. if, if this is what we have to work with, it's going to be a matter of personal choice. That's why I made a point of telling you how I feel. Because others will go, well, he was searched for all these years. Da, 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 da. This is a, a, a money grab. This is an attention grab. Michael's innocent. Michael, they came after him because he was black, which is an argument that's been used. And Michael himself bought it, or, or fed that narrative as well in the early 2000s, I believe. Um, what do you think about that? I'd love to hear, like, like, what's your take on that? Do you think that's true? Yeah, well, as an, as an intersectional person myself, and I, I, I always fight for, for uh, black issues and racial issues, I think there's a level of truth to it. Um, I definitely think that he was an easier target because he was black. Uh, and he, he, his point was, when I started beating records that were set by Elvis and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles is when the mainstream media turned on me because I had too much power. And they were calling me a homosexual, a predator, a, a pervert, a pedophile. I don't know what you word he used. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of true, right? Like, it comes back to the idea of Michael Jackson had too much power. And in a way that maybe in that context he wasn't recognizing, he had too much power where he could easily have these parents, these mothers, turn over their kids to him. Like, that was the thing in the documentary that I was just like... Holy crap, these parents, these these awful, awful parents. It's, yeah, it's that, it's so funny because I brought this up to when I was watching with my uncle and like, I, I was trying to give it like some sort of context into, because my, my uncle's like a crazy hockey dad, right? Yeah. And my, my cousin plays AAA hockey and they're like, okay, how about this? Sidney Crosby, who's your, the best hockey player in the world, wants your kid to come stay over at his place. He's going to teach you the, the whole industry. He's going to teach you about you know everything you need to know about hockey. He's going to give you the best career that you ever need to do, right? What would you do? He's like, I, I, no way, no way I would let him sleep in the same bed as him or anything like that if he were to sleep over. I'm, I'd make sure they're like separate rooms and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, maybe they just didn't know. And maybe Michael Jackson made like such a compelling case that like he need they, they needed to sleep in my room to get like the full experience or something like that. But 
I just can't like, and I I can't relate because I'm and not they, a parent. And they super and they trusted him. They had a relationship with this guy for twenty years. But think I about can't... a family friend of yours, right? Think about if there was a family friend of yours that you've either kind of like slept together in a hotel room, maybe near each other. Has that ever happened before? I don't think. I I think when I think about adults, I've slept shared a bed with mm-hmm. my parents, my grandmother. I think that's it. I don't think I've ever been in that situation, and I, I, I know my parents would never put me in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I and I'm looking at myself again. Not a parent. I can't fully empathize. But I also I would imagine that I would be staunch enough to go. No, I'm not putting my kid in a vulnerable situation. At least one like that where watching that documentary, it was clear as day. Like no, but I think it's clear as day because that's the way they they point. That the way they portray the narrative yeah. of of kind of like this is clear as day. How do you not see that? But I think at the time, like I went on plenty of trips, you know, with with family friends, where like again their kids are in the same room, but you know it's me, their kids, and this parent in the same room. Right. Well, that's different than well, just you and the parent in the same room. No, it could be the exact same. No, they could because, be doing the same thing. But you, never, only, you don't know what the situation is with the, with o- the parent. Only because in. The Oprah special, they both said point blank, they were never in the room with anyone else. It was always just Michael and them. So I say that to say, like with you with a family friend, it wasn't like you were in a room with, because in those situations, yeah, I've been traveling with family friends or traveling with adults and and not been in in a one-on-one situation, right? Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah, but I think, yes, there is, because obviously you don't have a witness there if something were to go down. But I think it's the same sort of trust you have. The fact that you're giving away your kid to someone that you totally trust. You're going on like a, an away trip uh, where they're going to be sleeping without parental, like obviously with the parental supervision of this individual that you have entrusted, right? You don't know what the fuck happens behind closed doors with any of these people. No, and but I think, I think the warning take- signs in this were so much, like it's so much clearer than, oh, I'm going to, let my kid go on a, a weekend trip with his friend and their family. But people didn't know that about Michael when they were initially starting this, though. It's once those allegations came out is when the mother started asking the questions about, is, is Michael doing anything weird with you? Because there was not, right? Yeah, but I look at that and I still go, why did she let, the, like, on, on face value, why is, she why not, is what, a parent yeah. in the first place letting their child under 10 years old Share a room when they could just stay in your room. Like if, if he's flying you out around the world with him, why would you, when Michael says, oh, well, he should sleep in my room. Why would you not go? Uh, because those, it's, that's where it's different than if you travel with a family friend or whatever and stay in like a hotel room with the five of you. They, he said that uh, they were putting the mothers in these suites and they, the mothers would ask, well, why are they getting further and further away? At that point, even before that point, I would go, okay, well, if we're going to travel, like, you guys can hang out during the day, but when it's time for bed, like, they're staying in my room. That's my kid. And that's where I think where we, we kind of delve into the values of what these mothers were, right? Were they very money-hungry? Did they feel guilty? Or did they feel, um, this is, they loved this life. I remember the one mom came out and said, I love the life that I can, you know, tell my friends I'm hanging out with Michael Jackson this week. Yeah. Or all the glitz and glam of fame, right? It was this... Michael bought them a house. Yeah. So they didn't want this to go away, right? They didn't want to 
be able to hang out at the Neverland Ranch every, you know, week, every second week, whatever it was. They wanted to keep this lifestyle. And what that meant is doing what Michael said, right? Because if you don't want to piss off Michael, right? If Michael's pissed off, you can't have that life, right? I know. And, and, I, and it's important what Oprah said at the, at the end of her special where she said, it's hard to look into the light of the sun like it, it's hard to see clearly when you're looking right in the sun. Like the, the idea of looking at these gods, these these white figures, but the fact that your parental sense did not kick in when Michael said, "Oh, let him sleep in my room," regardless of all the stuff that he's like, that's where I look at your integrity. Right? They're just yeah, they're shitty parents, and that's why these guys are saying, you know, when they when they're asked point blank, "Do you forgive your mothers? Do you forgive your parents?" They're like, "We're working on it." Yeah, which totally makes sense, you know, and. The, the Australian mother, obviously, I think they were both, I guess they were both kind of fame hungry, right? Because the, the Wade wanted to become a dancer and that was like the main reason why Michael flew them out from Australia, right? Yeah, because he brought him on stage on the bad tour in the 80s yeah. when he was in Australia. So she's thinking that, oh, if I just get in with Michael Jackson, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do best for my son and give him the dance career that he's always dreamt for and what, yeah. he, what he needs, right? Yeah. So like... I get kind of where she was coming from in terms of like, okay, Michael's going to do the best for my son and I want him to get the best and maybe, you know, he ha we have to go through some weird shit. Maybe he has to sleep in Michael Jackson's bed sometimes. But like, that obviously should be the line in terms of getting what you want in a career. Like, honestly, it's, just like, it's, it's super weird to think of like now in 2019 that a seven-year-old was sleeping with a 31-year-old in the, his bed. Yeah. But like... At the time, she must have, you know, her priorities are different. Her values are different. It's a completely different situation. And I think that documentary really, like, showed that, yes, you two moms were fucking dumb, right? And we all asked that question. How the hell do you have a seven-year-old sleeping in a bed with a grown man? Yeah. Right? That's what everyone, everyone I've spoken to about this documentary, that's, like, the main thing. How did you let that happen? Yeah. Like, looking at the parents and going... How is this possible? Under what circumstances was it ever remotely? Yeah, that's why I say, as a parent, like not one myself, but I can't, I can't fathom being in some sort of scenario like that where I would consider that. And then that goes into the conspiracy theory of it. Of it didn't actually happen because it's so implausible that someone would let their kid do that. Right, I know. I'm just but, saying, like the other side of it, right? The, the well, but Mike, Michael Michael has talked about sharing a bag with kids. Like that's why you can't argue with yeah. the fact that like he did that. It's what went beyond that that we, that don't, we don't know, know. for yeah. certain because it's it's their word against the dead man. God, fucking. That's invest. why I think it's it, it's always going to be this kind of muddy water. It's not going to be as clear as R. Kelly might ever be, or any of the other men in Hollywood who have used actually... their power. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important to talk about. And I think that's why Oprah's gotten into it, to go back to, to her. Like, mm -hmm. I said to you earlier how Oprah, in my opinion, getting involved in this is not about her looking to vilify or take down Michael Jackson, per se. Because what has she had to gain from that? Oprah is already Oprah Winfrey. Like, Oprah is... She has her legacy spelled out for her. And her doing this, in my opinion, is more about her history as a, a survivor of sexual abuse as a child, of, of rape as a child, um, feeling strongly about that and wanting to put a spotlight on that. I don't think it's about the Michael thing. I think it's this Michael thing has come up 
And she must have felt compelled by their stories. And she has said, I believe them. Um, felt compelled to put her influence behind it. And she said too, I know I'm going to be dogged for this. So she knows that she's not gaining anything from this. That's why I think that you have to take the Oprah uh, clout seriously on this one. But is you can speak on this probably a bit better, but is having Oprah Winfrey cause I, on this topic more sympathetic for the African-American viewer? Like Because you have Oprah there doing the interview, yeah. it's way more legit. It's not, I'm trying to think who else, Katie Couric doing the interview. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's fucking Oprah Winfrey came in, right? And, and you know, came out of retirement to do this. Not well, unless not she's out of retirement, but, but okay, sorry. It came back to host yeah. the show because she doesn't do the Daily Show anymore. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually... Let me, let me say that again. Oprah yeah. Winfrey came out to do this again. Yeah. Um, what I've seen actually on social media is, is people in the black community dogging Oprah for this because, again, in the, sta- in the black community, there's a staunch support of Michael. He's a hero. He's one of us. He broke through the mainstream. He broke barriers for black performers. And that's all true. Um, I think with Oprah, it actually is less about the race thing because she also has broken through the mainstream. She adds that credibility because she's also a black person. But Oprah, as I said, is already Oprah, right? So, you know, you use Katie Couric as an example. And I, 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 th- I think Oprah is just a bigger star than Katie Couric. Like, in terms of that level of, of, of journalistic power, you can't go past Oprah, point blank and the period, regardless of gender, race, etc. Like, Oprah is the pinnacle of journalism. Anderson Cooper doesn't top that. Wolf Blitzer, um, whoever you want to name. Katie Couric, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why, looking at Oprah, um, it's just a matter of why she got behind this, less a matter of what the symbolism kind of is. Like, Oprah got behind this, and that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. And not to say that there's probably... You know, she probably did get some money behind it coming in to do the interview, but I'm saying... I don't think so. I think HBO HBO probably really wanted Oprah to do this over anyone. Well, I, I, I wonder because the reading the credits, it's a co-pro with HBO and OWN. Like, it aired on OWN Network, which is her channel. Oh, I think go. that's the level of, of payment she got. I, I think she was directly paid for this because that also muddies the waters. Yeah. Any uh, any final remarks we got to say on this uh, on this? Pretty, pretty incredible documentary in terms of just content and just pure interviews. I don't think I've seen, an, uh, you know, this... Obviously, OJ Made in America was amazing. The fact that it was like eight hours of incredible testimony. But I think, you know, from this documentary, is there anything else you kind of like, you, you took from this that you're probably going to have to unpack a bit more? I think the main thing, like I said earlier, is we have to put a level of on these pedestals that we put people on, right? Um, so many entertainers come out and want to be the next Michael Jackson. It's because there was no star that shone brighter than Michael Jackson's in the early 90s at his peak. And I think it's important for us to to recognize our heroes as human beings as well and remember that we can't put them on these stratospheric, this person is untouchable levels because they feed into that and this might you know what this is a don't at me I'm going to say it anyways the first person who comes to mind for me for that is Drake not only because he's one who has said multiple times I want to be the next Michael Jackson 
who is on that level, I think, of like not there but close in terms of cultural influence, whatever, but also because he's been accused of potentially grooming young girls more than once. Millie Bobby Brown's an example. And there's not a direct parallel, of course. There's no, there's no serious accusations that have come out. But that's something that has happened more than one time and is enough to raise an eyebrow. And so the thought I want to leave on is don't put these people on pedestals. Like have your favorite artists, celebrate people. You know, fan culture is fun. Stan culture is, is another thing, but it's also still kind of fun, right? It's, it's messy. It's, you know, humorous. And it's rooted in passion and love, ultimately. But don't lose sight of the fact that these people we idolize are human beings and they have flaws and we can't treat them like untouchable idols because it's dangerous. It's a very slippery slope. That's where Michael Jackson landed. My one thing is I think, yes, this documentary was was very telling and, and, and it told the stories of the victims in a, in a very, um, very interesting way. But I think the one thing that I think everyone needs to do, and I, I personally did this when I, I watched uh, the first one and after we just finished the second one, I'm probably gonna do more as well, is just read. Like go read as much as you can from different sources, from different outlooks, from different perspectives, and you can kind of come up with your, your personal opinion on it. I think it's so important to just not walk away from this documentary and have uh, the, your final set in stone opinion on these Michael Jackson cases. I, th I think the more you read, the more you research on this, on this type of stuff, the more you become informed with, with the topic, right? And the different viewpoints and, you know, just, just doing research, I think is, is super important in, in any news story. I was gonna say, yeah, not even just this, yeah. everything. But I think just from this, obviously there's a lot written right now that's gonna, that, that is gonna kill Michael Jackson and is gonna defame Michael Jackson and is, you know, with, with due process. But I think there's also some stuff that we also need to, you know, check into what Wade's um, credibility is, what James's credibility is. Just do your own research, because obviously this has a particular perspective in mind, right? This is done with these two victims and is done with, with you know, their, from their perspective. So I yeah, think- Yeah, that's important to know. One well. of the main things is just kind of go and do your own research and from that, you can create your narrative from that. I think you just can't make it from, from one, piece of, uh, one piece of literature, one documentary. Tell them. Tell them. Don't at me. Don't at me. All Where right. can we find you on social media, Sam? Oh, you can find me on Sammy Davis Jr. underscore. Uh, we're now actually on iTunes, so hopefully you're listening to this on our new iTunes RSS feed. You better. And uh, where can they find you? At W-R-E-I-D on all platforms. AKA Twitter and Instagram. Damn. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, hopefully we'll get back on schedule with, uh, with a weekly podcast episode. Um, but yeah, this was, this was fun. Yeah, it was good. I think we've passed the soft launch phase. I think now we got to get into the more regular, you know, feed the fans. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll get a real microphone next time. Yeah, maybe, you know. <laughs> we need the glow up. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. <laughs>